Father, thank you so much for this this cold Tuesday morning. Uh, it wasn't what uh, we had expected necessarily in um, November, but it. We thank you that it's sunny outside. Thank you for just these last eight weeks as we have walked through prayers in the Bible. And Lord, I pray that again that we would continue to apply the lessons that you've taught us for years to come as we pray, as we deepen our prayer lives. And I pray for Carol Newman this morning, Father, as she comes and teaches your message today. Pray that we would be attentive and open to what you want to teach us through the teaching of your word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the fellowship here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Fun to see sweet faces I know and faces I've known from years ago that haven't seen in a long time and then some new folks. Thank you, thank you. Uh, okay, let's show this first slide, please. This little greenhouse was built in 1910. From 1910 until 2004, part of my family lived in that house. In fact, four generations of my family lived there. My mom grew up there. I was there when I was a tiny baby, and then we moved back when I was five years old. Um, It's a special house. That front window was where my bedroom was. Uh, But in 2004, both my parents were quite sick. We had to pack up the house and sell it. Christian Brothers University bought it, and they let their caretaker, their groundskeeper, live there, so he made it a home again. But lately, it has been bought and rebought by developers, and we know what that means, (laughs) that it's just going to be raised someday. And so my dear son-in-law, David, saw the last time that it was being uh, transferred. And he arranged for us to go into this house uh, and take a last walk around in the springtime. Well, when my sister and I and our family had closed up the house, we did the memory walk. We saw the places that had meant so much. We uh, thought about my daddy swinging our children and our grandchildren in that front porch swing. And we, we were a little sad. We were nostalgic. Uh, So we didn't know what to be prepared for in March when we went back and looked at the house on Avery in Midtown Memphis. Can you imagine? And so uh, David opened the door and we walked in. Well, nothing was the same. The memories were gone. There was somebody else's trash in the corners. There were little dead insects and some live insects that kind of... (laughs) creeped and crawled and you know for years there had been that that old home smell okay you know what I'm talking about it was just an icky smell now it was dank uh my sister and I had often said we needed to get Bob Vila who was the chip in Joanna from years ago to come do the house we looked at the house there were pools of water on the hardwood floors we left the house uh And it was like, it's done. There was a very simple closure. We said goodbye. 
We didn't grieve. We didn't mourn. It was just time for a little blip in God's eternity. That had been where our family grew. And that was, it was done. And we moved on. And we said goodbye. And, you know, we didn't grieve. But isn't that a neat place? I played on that bench. Oh, I loved all that. Uh, Well, Nehemiah got some news that the home of his forefathers, a place where he had never lived, was in disrepair. Things were not so good back in Jerusalem. He grieved. He mourned. He suffered for what was going on. Even though Israelites had returned and helped begin the rebuilding of the temple and the city and the land, uh, things were not going so well. The people were in distress. The city walls kept crumbling and burning and not being what they were supposed to be. Enemies could easily attack the chosen place for God's chosen people was in disrepair, and they felt reproach from the surrounding nations. And the current king, Artaxerxes, actually said, let's just forget about this project. We're done. Nehemiah grieved. He hurt for his people. He hurt for his nation's heritage. But he had a different understanding of Jerusalem and the temple and its walls. And so Nehemiah prayed with boldness because he was kingdom-minded. Nehemiah understood that the failure of the children of Israel, their continued pattern of rebellion and disobedience, had caused the scattering of the people, had caused the captivity, had caused the disgrace and ruin in Jerusalem. Nehemiah sat down, he wept, he mourned for days, He fasted and prayed a prayer of boldness because he was kingdom-minded. And so today we're going to take a look at his prayer of boldness. We're going to look at a little bit of the historical transition that was very kingdom-related. And then we are going to consider why we, like Nehemiah, need to pray boldly for where God has us in his kingdom right now. Uh, Jerusalem had been the center of Jewish community and of worship. Nehemiah 1.9 said it was the place where God had chosen his name to dwell. Jerusalem was a symbol that God's hand was on this people. For hundreds of years, their history recorded that pagan nations that lived around them knew God was at work. We read in our study how nations refused to attack because God was on the side of the Israelites. But now, because of their rebellion, God's reputation was at stake. Jerusalem was a symbol of God's hands on his people. And now these nations could say, what kind of God is that? This city is falling down. They have no protective walls. And most important, Jerusalem was a setting for God's redemptive plan through the children of Israel at that time into New Testament times to bring that redemptive plan to fulfillment. 
Nehemiah was kingdom-minded. He was God-focused. He made prayer a priority. He did not look to his own abilities or his influence to meet the need. He did not give way to incessant grief and mourning, but he came to a point of stillness before the Lord and prayed. And he prayed with boldness. He waited patiently and he willingly submitted. Nehemiah was fully confident in the character of God. He began his prayer looking at the attributes of God. I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the covenant God, the transcendent God, the God who was sovereign, the great and awesome God, the one who preserves the covenant, the one who preserves loving kindness toward those who love him. He was a just God. He was very right and just in what he allowed to happen to the children of Israel. But he was a merciful God. Nehemiah confessed the sins of himself and of his people, and he knew that God was merciful and would respond. He was a faithful God. He was faithful to his promises. Back in Moses' day, God talked to Moses. God explained the pattern of rebellion and disobedience and punishment and restoration. And he said at one time when his people were going to be scattered because of their disobedience, God promised, when they repent, I will gather my people again from the most remote parts of the earth and bring them to a place where I've chosen my name to dwell. That was the Jerusalem where Nehemiah would be leading that physical restoration. Nehemiah was confident in God. He was also committed to being God's servants. He may have been an exalted servant in the court of the king Artaxerxes. His true servanthood was toward the Lord his God. For himself and for his people, a prayer focus was that they all were servants of God because they had been redeemed by God. He owned them. It was God's power and strong hand that had made them a nation. And therefore, because of who God was, they delighted in him. They revered his name. Their hearts were repentant. They were moving ahead as God's servant. And then as a committed servant, Nehemiah realized he was fully dependent on God's provision, on God's control. This need in Jerusalem was vast beyond anything that we could probably think about. Uh, Nehemiah bowed before God. It was humble prayer. Nehemiah was a gifted leader. He had skills. He could organize things. He could round up people. But he did not take off on his own strength to fix things. He depended on God. He patiently prayed day and night, he said. Four months passed before this first report of the need and the actual time where Nehemiah could lay this before King Artaxerxes. The season of prayer opened Nehemiah's heart 
and opened his mind and opened his preparation to all the risks that were involved, to whether he was to be personally available to meet this leadership need, uh, what would be called on, what plans needed to be made, what supplies, and what would be God's timing. We understood the position that he was in as cupbearer of the king and that sense of uh, trepidation he may have often had and how careful he worked not to have a face that showed his sadness. But then the time came, and what he did then was that spontaneous prayer. When Artaxerxes asked him what was wrong, Nehemiah gave wise words, and then he knew God had said, all right, go for it, because the king says, well, tell me what your request is. Tell me what you need. Nehemiah gave that quick shout-out prayer. His humble and patient prayer for months had given him a mental and emotional stability and created in him that willingness to do whatever God wanted. Prayer clarified the detail. I mean, he whipped out that list of needs just like that. He was ready. Prayer gave him confidence that God does indeed turn the hearts of rulers and kings. King Artaxerxes not only agreed to let Nehemiah have what he spelled out, he gave him a military escort all along this thousand-mile journey. It was a long trip. He needed the help. God provided through the king's mindfulness. And therefore, Nehemiah said he had succeeded. The king had granted what he asked because the good hand of my God was upon me. That's in chapter 2, verse 8. The good hand of the Lord was upon me. I read that and I kept thinking, Lord, I want to be able to look at what is happening now? What is going according to plan and even what is not going according to plan? And yet have that confidence that it's the good hand of the Lord that's been with me, both in the unfolding of what I've desired and in those occasional times when things don't happen like I would have liked. Nehemiah prayed with boldness. He was moved by kingdom-mindedness. He was confident in God. He was committed. He was fully dependent on God. And this leadership was at a pivotal time in the unfolding of God's kingdom plan for redemption. This was really a big deal historically. If you've ever read the complete history of Nehemiah's leadership in this transition, it's amazing. He always was calling on the Lord. He was always encouraging the people that God would be the one who gave them success. He stressed honoring God, and there were many challenges. Besides the long journey, the wall itself was really a big wall. The conservative estimate said two miles. Others have thought it was much larger, but it was big, okay, not like our backyard fence. Uh, he met discouraging setbacks. He was taunted by 
leaders of surrounding tribes and factions. There was aggravation. There was great personal sacrifice in what he gave up in order for the workmen to be fed and housed and have comfort. He had great personal leadership skills. He was a man of integrity. And together, Nehemiah and Esther, I mean, and Ezra challenged, <laughs> whoa, uh, Nehemiah and Esther, uh, we won't go there again. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> they challenged the people to spiritual renewal and reformed. The, the two of them kept God's kingdom purposes and his provision before the people. You'd like Nehemiah. He was a list maker. He kept a journal. He was into genealogies. <laughs> he was a construction per- person, a designer. He knew how things needed to be laid out. He even snuck out at night to take a good look at projects, like we sometimes do at night in our own homes, thinking this would be good here and this would be good there. We would identify with Nehemiah. Uh, one special thing that he did uh, that's recorded in Nehemiah 13. There is a list of who built which section of the wall. Kind of like the credits at the end of a movie that nobody reads, but this spelled out who built those walls. It was a wall of memory. It was in God's book so that a couple of generations on down, some grandfather could take his little son and said, okay, your great-granddaddy, he built that part of the wall. And this is where it says so. Uh, He was an amazing leader. Uh, The nation of Israel had been broken in so many ways, but they had finally become deeply brokenhearted before their God. Nehemiah's prayer of boldness, his kingdom-focused heart, made such a big difference in directing these people back to their faithful and merciful God. Nehemiah's writing, this book, is the last historical writing in the Old Testament. Okay, that was it. And uh, it was actually 400 years before new historical writing took place that was formed into our scripture. That was quite a gap. (laughs) During those centuries, the Hebrew people had been restored to their promised land. They were not entirely a free people. They remained under the jurisdiction of pagan nations. They longed for restoration. They worshiped in this temple. People in surrounding areas made pilgrimages into Jerusalem for feast days and sacrifice. Some of them actually began to look for a Messiah to establish the kingdom. And I loved how Dr. Constable summed it up. God's purpose was to put Israel back under the law until Christ would come. In the fullness of time, this would happen. So after this long period of silence, in that very temple, there was an encounter, an important encounter. A very poor couple brought their tiny baby into the temple, and an elderly man who had been looking for the Messiah saw this baby, 
pick this baby up. And here's what he said. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. This baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's most of us, and for a glory to your people, Israel. Isn't that extraordinary? In the fullness of time. So Jesus, 33 years later, came through those walls, and there were hosannas, and there were praises, and then we know what happened in just a matter of days. He was crucified. But this was the perfect climax for God's redemptive plan for fallen humanity. He did not stay in the grave. He rose. He lives now. And our compelling to pray boldly can be found in the simplest gospel message in 2 Corinthians 5.21. About this little baby that came into that temple at the fullness of time, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That compels me to pray with boldness. And since that time, the Lord God of heaven has continued his redemptive work on earth through those who have believed in his son Jesus. As his followers, we have a part in the kingdom, in the kingdom plan, in the work that's going on here and now. Uh, Sometimes our kingdom focus is way, way on out there, but our part in the present here and now kingdom began when we asked Jesus in our hearts. Just like Nehemiah, we are here, we are now for purposes that God has for us. We must pray boldly. Uh, We have a compelling, but I find that I am often made of very weak, unreliable, inconsistent material. I find that I like to be wise in my own eyes. I like to dash into a daily routine or even into a big project and think, I've got this. I like to be a fixer. Do we have any fixers out there? (laughs) My daughter and I have come up with a new word for my fixing pent. It's hovering. That I like to hover. (laughs) So, you know, um, I'm made of weak stuff. Sometimes for my fulfillment, um, I don't even look at that eternal kingdom of God, of the great I am. I focus on this little wobbly kingdom of myself, and I miss the blessing of being able to say, the good hand of the Lord has done that, because my eyes have just been on an earthly kingdom. So the amazing study we've done on bended knee has encouraged me. It's made me want to focus more on my prayer time with the Lord. But I've found myself wanting, but also wanting, wanting more consistency and depth and focus on kingdom matters. So I don't want us to put our books off on a shelf of completed studies. The book, the principles, the scripture, the reminders are things we need to carry with us. 
so that we remember we are challenged to pray with boldness. How do we nurture that kind of a heart? First, like Nehemiah, we need to make prayer a priority. (laughs) Sometimes we wake up with a dark cloud left over from the day before. Sometimes we have huge challenges. We have sorrow. Sometimes our situations are confusing. Sometimes we just kind of slog through an ordinary day. Anybody have one of those lately? (laughs) So our great need is to make prayer a priority. And then to pray with boldness, we need to be confident in the character of God. We need to remind ourselves how mighty our God is, yet how very personal. That the very impossible situations, the valleys of grief and suffering, and the hurt and the confusion and the I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. They push us when our hearts are turned toward God to pray with boldness. Nehemiah understood the awesomeness of his God. He had confidence in him. So we need to grow in our confidence in the character of God. The thing that has helped me do this most is to memorize a verse or two that just repeats the character and majesty of who God is. Because there are times when I sit down to pray and I'll start, Oh, Lord, you are great. And, oh, you know, what about this? And what about this? And I really need to take care of this. And my mind is wandering. I've got to teach a lesson today. But God. And so if I begin with a memorized little portion that says, Ah, I proclaim the names of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. I mean, I just can keep on going, and I celebrate who God is. I am confident in his character, and everything else is put in perspective. Another way to nurture our hearts to pray boldly is to know that we are secure in the gospel of grace. Nehemiah declared God's faithfulness to forgive and restore We call on the faithfulness of God's redemption to gain life through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. We gain that life once and for all when we ask him into our hearts. But we don't always remember all the grace of the gospel that has come to us at that time for this time. Jerry Bridges uh, was a navigator. He wrote a lot. Cole has quoted him often. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. So I want to remind myself that, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm going to fail. I have failed. But there's grace every day, every minute. My good performance doesn't give me access to pray with boldness. But do you know what? My failure doesn't mean that God turns away. He is just waiting for me to lay that failure at the cross. We are secure in the gospel. So we want to pray with boldness. And then we need to consider whose kingdom is central to our daily life. Nehemiah, I was the cupbearer to the king. That was his earthly situation. He obeyed as a servant of the Lord. I'm not sure if I see 
anyone out there, maybe way, way back there, who is the cupbearer to an 18-month-old. Maybe the cupbearer to a whole house full of children. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you work. Maybe you live in a neighborhood where Mr. Rogers doesn't live. (laughs) You know, maybe you have a job that is boring or that is filled with the wrong kinds of drama. Maybe you're retired and you think, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? Or maybe you're a caregiver for a sick family member. Is there a kingdom purpose for where I am today? Well, there is. We just need our eyes open. That greenhouse that was up on the, on the board a minute ago, it was ordinary. Some of the years were like leave it to beaver years. But there were years where, oh, you know, there was hurt. There was sorrow. Uh, there was family dysfunction here, there, and yon. And there were redemptive relationships going on in that house. And I showed you the window of my bedroom. There was a window in the back of the house where I could look out and see trees and see sky. I remember standing one day looking out that window at that sky and asking Jesus into my heart. Kingdom business. His plan of redemption right there in a very ordinary place. But it's a place where an eternal transaction took place. So, who knows what kingdom purpose is behind the current situation where you find yourself. What's happening in your neighborhood? (laughs) Commit to being kingdom-minded. Pray with boldness. How do we know we are part of the kingdom? We are told over and over and over in Scripture. So I've put a few up there. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 tells us that he died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves. Okay? Got to pray boldly. We are also told that Jesus is the one who loves us. He released us from our sins. And what? He made us to be a kingdom. He made us now priest to his God and Father, instruments of reconciliation where we live. And then he said, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a kingdom privilege, but we need to pray with boldness. It's a wonderful gift But we need to challenge ourselves to keep in this habit of prayer, to focus on praying on bended knee like prophets and warriors and kings. We need to be secure in who Christ is and in the gospel. We need to pray with boldness. Um, We've been given grace each day, each minute. We are graced by God to be where we are. It's not just grace for the by and by. And Paul David Tripp, Sunday morning in the October, t- I mean the November tenth uh, devotional. God's people of grace are driven to the throne of grace, so that they can reflect His grace in the place where He calls them. We are compelled to pray with boldness because of who God has made us in his son, Jesus. 
Um, <clears throat> we have a, a really wonderful prayer verse about coming to the throne of grace, drawing near with confidence, with boldness. That is our verse for the year in women's ministries. And um, that is where we need to be. And I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 as our closing prayer. Father God, we thank you um, for the way that grace came down and that we live in grace and that uh, work has been done centuries and millennials ago so that we could be where we are right now today as children of the Most High God. And now, Lord, our high priest is one who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He's one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Lord, as your women, help us to remember to draw near boldly with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is faithful, who delights to answer our prayers and to meet those needs. In your name we pray. Amen.